Hello everybody and welcome to Brunvagoon, your weekly dose of bicycle, bicycle people, bicycle story, gravel rides, adventures, adventure on the bicycle. Yeah, this must be actually the topic of this year. And uh, yeah, I'm here today, I'm gonna record another episode, this is gonna be another episode about the Silk Road Mountain Race and its protagonists of this kind of really, really impressive and dramatic, yes, dramatic ride, race, that I think it was really the most dramatic race that the the world ever seen here in this life but we're gonna go deep into it a bit later just give me some seconds on saying thank you to 3t who is actually walking with me together with this season and by giving me the amazing 3t explorer that is actually right here on my side while i'm recording this podcast and also i think that you need to uh, you need to refresh all the times the contacts that where you can actually contact me that are linking you every day of your life. Hello at calamaro.cc, that's my email. Instagram.com slash calamaro.cc or just Instagram. Go on Instagram and look for calamaro.cc, you're gonna find myself. And then twitter.com slash calamaro, facebook.com calamaro.cc. And yeah, don't forget as usual, to, if you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, let's put it in that way. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, then please share it in your social media or with your friends by email or WhatsApp message, Telegram. Telegram is my favorite one. The Telegram message or whatever, because I think that everybody must listen to the story of bicycles that can be here around and can really push people or no matter if they are relatives or parents or friends or whatever, but anybody must be involved and engaged in these bicycle stories here around. They are not normal stories, they are stories of special people. So share it with all your friends via uh, with your Spotify, with the Spotify link. Just look for Broomwagoon on Spotify or just on the Apple Podcast app. Also there, just look for Broomwagoon or just go on Spreaker.com slash ListenCalamaro or just look for Broomwagoon over there on Spreaker. Just a couple of minutes ago, I was talking about special people. Special people are the ones that... 29. Are the 29 riders of... They were 92, 98. Of the 98 that started and took part on the Silk Road mountain race. So only 29 really took everything over till the end. Suck it up completely with hike a bike with a lot of gravel actually i think all gravel roads and uh, snow and uh, really hell heat or food poisoning or whatever it was really a dramatic one so only 29 out of 98 finished the ride most of them they didn't find finish so we're talking about more than 70 almost 70 didn't finish it because yeah they got food poisoning or just they got sick or they broke their shoes i've seen a lot of these problems or they they've broken their bicycles that's the thing that happened to chris chris soul hi chris how you doing and uh, so they could not finish so 29 they finished but most of them they didn't finish. Amazing people finish, as I was saying, there is... I will never, really, never, never, never reach the point of spelling his name in a proper way, but also this time I will try to do it. So the winner, let's say, the one that finishes first this amazing ride was J. Petervary. Peterberry. Peterberry. Jay Peterbury, I hope he's the same, and uh, yeah, him together with Levante Bagoli, they were really the most important, the toughest rider over there. Also, another person that I would love to mention here is Jenny Tuff. Tough is exactly the thing to say, and she was the first girl finishing this race. Great. Also, they gave us an, as a gift uh, a lot of cool images and a lot of cool pictures over there. So these 29 person were really tough and they finished it. But for sure, the story that I want to tell you today are of the three friends that I actually interviewed 
at the beginning of this adventure. You remember, my first episode of this season was interviewing Nelson Trees. Hi Nelson, hopefully everything is good. Now it's for sure, it's for sure at the Nomad Olympics, normal tournament, normal challenge, I don't remember. This amazing thing that happens in uh, Kyrgyzstan over there, but we could not talk to each other at the end of the race, but I believe that he's actually uh, getting and having his deserved rest and exploration part on the bike after being on the van for all this time. But the other three, and talking about Bank Stealer, and talking about Max Birch, and talking about John Woodruff, they're gonna be here telling about telling us about the end of the story. Listen to them; it's gonna be great. The first of them is gonna be I don't know whom, from whom to start. I will start in that way. The first of them is gonna be let's do it in that way. We are gonna have the same order as the presentation. Banked. No, Bengt was the second. So Max first, Bengt second, and then John. Hey Stefano, it's Max. So I'm sitting in Manas Airport, just about to fly back from uh, Kyrgyzstan. So I hope the uh, audio is okay for you. I'll go through some of the, the bullet points that you uh, you set set to me. So how do I feel? I feel uh, I'm getting better. I um, so a bit, bit bit of a recap of my my race. So me and Justin. Uh, we were riding with John Woodruff. Hey, John, I'm sure you're listening. Uh, we were riding from the beginning. Uh, we were taking it pretty chill. We uh, met with um, a few locals. We had a picnic, family reunion picnic on the first day going up Kigeti. Uh, we then stayed in a yurt with a shepherd because we were trying to descend down a mountain at about 10 o'clock at night in a pitch black. And he probably didn't think that was a great idea. Uh, and we basically realized that about after day three that we needed to pick up the pace if we wanted to make checkpoint one. So we did, and we had a furious few days of, uh, of riding, and we just made checkpoint one, but it was a real strain. And uh, I think for me and Justin, that was pretty much the end of our race. Justin also didn't feel so great. Um, we, were also, we were 24 hours behind our schedule, which I'd set out. Uh, and we didn't really want to risk losing any more time um, because we had flights home and stuff. So we decided that we were going to finish after checkpoint one and just, you know, kind of tour around a bit. <clears throat> um, shortly after, we uh, Justin was pretty sick. Uh, I got pretty sick. We we hooked up with uh, a couple of German guys, Carlos and Philip, uh, and they were sick. So we literally spent. Uh, a few days in Narin, all being sick at the same time. And then after that, we uh, <clears throat> we carried on and we did a few more days riding. We got to a few more towns, uh, we got sick again, and then uh, pushed pushed on through and got to the finish. Uh, John, John actually carried on. Uh, I'm sure he's going to tell you more about his story. He carried on CP2 and then did a heroic effort to get to CP3. Um, I'll let him tell you the rest. Uh, so, how, how do I feel after all that? Um, I was exhausted. Um, I'm, I'm just about getting better after stomach issues, but um, yeah, you know, the riding here is amazing. It, it does take it out of you, um, but the scenery is amazing, the people are unbelievable. The pass will I will, I will remember definitely uh, it's Kageti Pass, the first, the, the first major pass that you do on the entire race. So you go from something like 900 meters uh, above sea level from Bishkek, uh, and you go to the top of Kigeti, which is around 3,900, 800. I mean, it's just short of 4,000 meters, and it's uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, we uh, we took our time. We camped halfway up, um, and then we did the rest of the second day. Uh, on the second day, we saw. Uh, what I thought was a, a wolf carcass, you know, a dead wolf, the bones and the skull. Uh, and later on, I posted the picture on Instagram, MXBORG, for those that don't know. Uh, and someone commented, and I think they're completely right, but it's actually a snow leopard. You know, the, the, the nose is too, too rounded for it to be a wolf, so for sure it's a snow leopard. Uh, which, so that was pretty insane, you know, it was just a snow leopard laying by the, the side of a road. Um, and the further you get up to the top, it just 
completely turns into Mordor. There's just nothing but rocks and uh, snow, snow-capped peaks. Uh, it's, it, was, it was a lot of hiker-bike at the end. And then when you get over the other side, then it gets even worse because it's just a sheer drop. Um, and you've got a tiny little path that you have to take your bike down. I mean, I, seriously, at some points, I, I was just looking at a sheer drop thinking, oh my God, please don't let this bike fall down and drag me down with it. But that was definitely, um, that was definitely one to remember. When you, when you go over the other side of Kigeti, all of a sudden you really are in the wilderness because, you know, when you're going up Kigeti, there's definitely still families having picnics or, you know, people, there's people, there's small shops. But after that pass, that's it, that's wilderness. And we were, we were descending down, like going through valleys with rivers and, and uh, horses, like just meandering around the rivers. It was, it was you know, where are we? Is, is, this, is this paradise? It was, I think someone, probably John said. Uh, so yeah, Kageti Pass. Human being, you will remember forever. I mean, hey, John, I know you're listening. I'll never forget you, especially not on this, your epic, epic ride that you did. Uh, John springs to mind, Justin, who I was riding with, you know, when you do rides like this with people, I think um, it, it only ever, like, just brings you close to people. You, you find out more about those people than you ever could in any other scenario. Uh, and, and those two guys, like, you know, Justin has got such a cool head. Um, he's got a solution to everything. John and his redneck engineering. Um, you know, if, you, if something breaks, you want him around with his bag of straps and, and toe straps and zip ties and bags of bolts. Um, uh, he's a no, definitely the one that you need to be around. Those two guys, totally. Um, but was, what was also cool was that, uh, you know, once we finished the race, you know, there was quite a few other people that are in a similar situation to us. You know, they, have, they were still in Kyrgyzstan, um, until their flights home. So, for instance, we hooked up with Carlos and Philip, uh, two German guys from Hanover, and uh, they. So we decided to ride as a four, and then uh, a friend, uh, Rob Quirk from Quirk Cycles, who was uh, in Bishkek, uh, he came down to meet us in Narin. So we formed this nice little, you know, kind of gruppetto who, who were just like, you know, taking it chill, having fun riding through the mountains and, you know, camping, glamping, some would say, uh, for my part. Uh, so that was, that was really cool. And, and, and again, you know, those are three, three guys who I didn't know before. I mean, I kind of knew Rob, but not, not so well. And, and, and now after like you know, a week of riding with them, but that's three more friends who, um, who definitely like, you know, I, I'll definitely stay in touch with those guys. That was, that was super, super awesome. The mistake you will remember forever um, packing way too much stuff uh, definitely um, mid just before CP1 I actually had to unload some kit and I left a bag with the medic truck which had about probably five six six seven kilos worth of kit in it it was just too much I was I hauled it up quite a few passes uh, and in the end it was it was just getting too much. Um, you know, I was trying to make a film, uh, so I did have a lot of camera equipment with me. Some of that went. Unfortunately, my 7200 lens had to go, um, but I did manage to shoot some good stuff with it before I got rid of it. So I'm, you know, not so disappointed. Um, you know, I just packed too much. I think the this ra- this race, um, it, obviously, it was a first for everyone. Not, I don't think anyone's done anything quite like it. And I think really the race is about um, finding a balance between being lightweight enough, um, but having the, just the right level of equipment, you know, because you can be stranded in some pretty wild scene lo- locations where, um, you know, you could be in life-threatening situations. I know there was a couple of guys who, you know, got hypothermic um, and you really need to be prepared for those, those, those situations. You know, we, we camped at minus five one night near the end. And, um, you know, if you were not prepared with warm, warm clothing and, and warm sleeping bags and, and a tent, for example, uh, you know, that, that can be quite dangerous. So it's really a case of, you know, packing as light as you can, but um, uh, also uh, as safe as you can. You know, you also have to take into consideration food 
I think, you know, I t- had plenty of food, but I was also carrying some pretty heavy food options, like bulgur wheat and things like that. And I think, um, yeah, there were probably lighter ways of doing it. Uh, so, yeah, but, you know, maybe next time I'll know better. The day I'll remember forever probably uh, would have been from uh, a small town we, in Chayak. We, um, we actually we raced to get to Chayak. Uh, we were going some crazy speeds, like we, we hit some tarmac and we were pace lining and, and uh, pushing till like pretty late at night um, just to get to this guest house because we wanted to have a good run at the CP1 the next day the CP1 was closing so it was right on the deadline um, so yeah so we we hit, we hit Chayek which is a small village we had a guest house which didn't have any running water which for someone who hasn't showered in quite a few days was a problem um, so uh, the following day we woke we woke up at the guest house at five in the morning and we left there by six o'clock uh, and we had a you know a deadline to hit, hit the checkpoint one um, by 4 p.m. that day uh, but it included a long old climb up to Songkol, which is a, a lake, a really high altitude lake, so it sits around 3,000 meters. Uh, so we were pushing, uh, we were feeling quite good. John was with us and he didn't feel so great, so uh, we had to stop to get some food for breakfast and we let him carry on, the idea being that we were going to um, you know, catch him up and give him food. Uh, so we stopped and we ate and then we you know, prepared him a little breakfast and we were r- racing and we didn't see him. So we were just going and we were going pretty fast. You know, I'm sitting in Justin's wheel. Justin's pretty strong. And uh, we're thinking he cannot be in front of us. And uh, so we think maybe, I don't know, he was in a shop that we missed back, back, you know, back way, way back. So... Um, we keep going, we keep going, and eventually, you know, at some point, inevitably, Justin, we, me and Justin split up because Justin will go up the climbs faster and I'll probably stop and, I don't know, uh, cool myself down in the river because it was super hot that day. Uh, so we're going, uh, and at some point, you know, it comes up to there's a big, sharp climb at the end, and, and John is on that climb, and it, I don't know how he did it. Uh, he said that he had a big can of nitro, which is like the kind of, Kyrgyzstan equivalent Red Bull <clears throat> and uh, so anyway I Justin went ahead uh, I and it caught up to John uh, by this point it's a hiker bike on you know some crazy 30 to 40 percent incline uh, big rocks so it's like just pushing pushing vertically uh, and that goes on for I think it was around four kilometers of, of hiker bike so it took us around five hours maybe maybe four or five hours to, to get to the top and that was a slog that was a massive massive slog uh, but luckily you know it's good to have John to, to push next to you I think we were chatting a little bit and taking breaks um, the hardest part was that you know you we got to the top and we just you know on the elevation profile you couldn't see anything uh, after that climb because the climb was so big the little rolling hills well I say little rolling hills um, we just weren't showing up so it looked like once you get over this climb it was just a flat ride around the lake to the checkpoint which was at a yurt camp uh, so we get to the top and uh, and we start going down and we get down a little way and then there's another huge hiker bike again and this carries on for another few hours and what we so we were actually really cutting it fine because we had to make it by four o'clock and, and, and we were getting pretty close and you know the, the hills like started to start to even out a little bit and then so we were able to ride them which was still hard because you know we were just completely exhausted after the, this, this kind of epic day which started about five in the morning and then uh, and then it got flat but it's like there's no track you're just riding through a field and you're just following a GPS because you know the yurt camp is somewhere crazy by the lake. So we're riding some trails, some like little two 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 track, and then um, double tracks, and then and then through through the grass. So really, the, it took us forever. And we were kind of chilled at first because we thought we had the time, and then obviously we realised that we didn't have the time, so the pace got picked up. 
Um, but we made it, and we made it with about 30 minutes to go from uh, until the checkpoint closed. So, so my uh, my one victory in this whole race, I guess, is that I made checkpoint one on time, and I've got that stamp. That was the only stamp I got. I think John John managed more. John managed the CP2 stamp. Uh, Justin and me just had the CP1 stamps. Next year, next year, um, I'm not sure I could do this again. Uh, you know, I'd love to come back, and I, I, I always say that I would never do two event, an event more than once, uh, unless I feel I have let myself down. Um, I guess I could say I've let myself down by only hitting checkpoint one, but the thing is, you know, to do well in this race, I think you need to get your head down, and you just need to ride for as long as you can. Not necessarily as hard as you can, I just think for as long as you can. And, um, and we just weren't really prepared to do that. I think we came here to experience Kyrgyzstan and we did that. Uh, and because we did that, it put us behind our pace. So, yeah, so I think in, in hindsight, I, I'm not sure racing here is a good idea. It's a hard one to call because what I really enjoyed was that there was a group of, a big group of people here like if you were here touring on your own, maybe you'd be with a few people, maybe you'd meet a couple of extra people. What was nice about this was that there was a community here, and, and they were and they were all together. They were all talking. They were all racing and riding, and that was what was great about it. Um, what I didn't enjoy about it was was this idea of you have a deadline, you've got to get to this checkpoint because you know there's so much happening here, and the people are so amazing that they you know they're constantly inviting you for tea or. You know, they want you to, you know, to stop and talk to you, uh, and you can't do that if you're if you're trying to race to a checkpoint. So it's a it's a hard one. I, I'm kind of glad. <clears throat> I'm glad that we did it. Um, I'm not overly disappointed that I didn't go past checkpoint one, um, but I don't think I'll come come back and do this race again. Maybe I'll come back with with some people and just ride some of the amazing scenery again. Although I have to say that the washboard roads do put, put me off and there's quite a few of those. They aren't, they aren't so comfortable to ride. Okay, Stefano, I hope that works for you. Um, speak to you soon, bye. Yeah, Max uh, dropped, scratched from uh, still in the beginning, but anyways, he had a lot of time as well, more than everybody else, probably, on continue enjoying the mountains and uh, the eye pass of Kyrgyzstan. Great, man. And if you decide next year to go back there, count on me. I think that we can go together. But you are the kind of person that never does the things twice in a row. I will talk to you. We will convince each other to do that. And now it's time for Banked. Banked has a really, really... You're going to listen to that. Listen to the story. Stefano, uh, it's the same room, actually. Uh, out of uh, Sikura House, <laughs> guest house here in Bishkek. Honestly, I can be just glad that I um, made it to this place on Saturday night. Uh, the race ended Saturday at midnight, as we, as you might know. And yeah, I mean, how did the story go? We, <laughs> um, there were so many people dropping out from the very first beginning. The race challenged us probably, no, not probably, uh, to the fullest from from yeah from the very first morning and that started out out with um, going south from Bishkek to Kegedi Pass which is like on the 1800 and that's a serious one um, going down the other way uh, that's not a road as so many times that the silk roads if you want to call them are just mere paths but paths, you know, um, on, you know, slopes of, of pure rock coming down the mountain and a horse might fit in there, on there somehow. So we made it. We made it up. Uh, we, were, we had a good start um, and we got good into the race. Uh, I crashed on the second day two times, exactly going down that pass. That pass is so steep and so wild um it always you know when you know as a photographer I, I did take some pictures and it's that crazy thing um 
from from that perspective the roads all of them don't look that steep and they all look rideable but <laughs> that is most definitely not the case uh, so for probably many of the riders this race had a lot of um, hike a bike push a bike um, for us as well but we could limit it actually quite well we we did some some very nice climbing we were good in climbing um had a good progress um and made it well into the race so but to finish the whole story um getting down to the chinese border you get to a plateau um with uh yeah she um, endless roads just straight for i don't know how many miles you have some tarmac actually so that is the place where you could actually let it roll um, instead of having, you know, technical trails or gravel roads that um, challenge everything um, from you and your bike. So, um, but the heat up there struck us, especially me. Um, I think I got a heat stroke. Um, reaching down that, reaching up that, uh, finally reaching that, that plateau. Uh, I was not really, I, I was not really able to drive anymore. Uh, I needed water, so, and on the map and on the Garmin, it had like many rivers, but yeah, <laughs> everyone was dried out. That area um, hadn't seen much rain for I don't know how long. There was just no water, so we, but I don't know. I was kind of desperate, and so we were checking some some you know very little streams you know always when there's a yurt you could say there is water um but that was even though we filtered um it was polluted i had four zips and it turned it turned me around immediately um we had to go a few more kilometers to the chinese border there was a checkpoint i mean a checkpoint there was a um, um, border point so there was some some i don't know people selling stuff so we could actually buy bottled water over there so we just should have gone a few meters more um but that didn't help that night my my body turned around first time and uh my body um, was reacting to that polluted water in terms of um i don't know um saving water i got thicker and thicker i didn't realize it because you don't change the clothes very often as you can imagine because of speed and time and whatever um so i got i don't know four or five kilos plus of water in my body that really when i realized it frightened me and the next day we had to cross another um we, we had to cross another plateau or this big plateau um with tremendous winds and that makes you not feel the wind as you can uh, the heat as you can imagine so i was so worn out i was passing out actually like on my bike nearly i don't know every half an hour i could go for half an hour i had to sit down lie down lie down fall off my bike with my full gore suit on um sleeping um in the in the sun uh hiding from the sun with my gore suit on i was so done so we somehow I pushed that through that day, and from the next day on, uh, when we when we reached checkpoint two, it got better. I could actually literally see how the water um, went out of my body. So I was kind of happy with that. But those two days um, slowed slowed me down a little, no doubt. My partner Moritz um, got sick as well. That was another day. So the the middle part of it um, was not our strongest, but. We stayed in the race. We heard of all the people who dropped out and um, it just got more and more. You know, so many people were struggling with the paths with the strong headwinds, headwinds you can't imagine, Stefano. It's your your face. I looked like, I don't know, you might have seen it, but um, you changed during that race, but, but strongly. Um, the headwinds are so strong or the winds are so strong that on a... You know, we had like um, two or three um, passages where we were supposed to have like 100 k's of downhill, let's say slope down, right, for um, many, many, many kilometers, which helps. But having, I can't tell you how strong headwinds, I mean, it kills you. You don't, you don't make a meter. So, 
Um, yeah, but somehow we managed that as well. So um, we made it to checkpoint three. And from there, it was kind of obvious that we were the last ones in the race. So um, almost 60 people of 100 had dropped out. And we were the only ones having a chance to make it, which we um, kind of liked. And that was our, let's say, maybe secret, secret goal to make it to the party on the last minute, being the last one, sorry, being the last ones to roll in. Um, that would have been just so nice, but um, there were some obstacles in between. So um, on our way to the to the last pass, it's Shamsi Pass. It's the most incredible pass you can ever imagine. And if you if you ask me, yes, I will um, remember that pass forever for many reasons. We got to the town, we, we hit a town, which we did not do many times um, the, day, the, the, the afternoon before, which meant we could pick up some food for the last, um, I don't know, 32 hours, which we had, and um, then uh, make it through the night. That was our plan, and we did. So we sat down, had some food, and um, then started at around 8. Um, till 11 or 12, set up a BV, made, made it up the pass as far as we could was was clear sky i mean that the skies by the way are amazing i mean like everything it's on a, on a photo you can't even capture that really um you need kind of a 360 degree angle um at least you wish for to get the impression that you have here when moving through those landscapes it's it's just unbelievable this is picking out details just doesn't do it it's the vast um scale of it that just um yeah is so impressive but going up that pass um we started set up a small uh, short bv at night got up at three and then started our attack to that pass um when the light got out we kind of made it up there it's the it's the worst pass you have like 20 k's of hike a bike and that really means hike your bike. I mean, you have to be careful that you and your bike, even hiking, don't go off the cliff. So um, that is kind of a tricky thing. And as a last one, it was maybe a little too much of a challenge. But I started vomiting um, on the way up. Um, that didn't really feel well, um, you can imagine. So I realized, uh, no, something's wrong. And that soaks up some energy, right? That kills it. And when we made it, it took us hours and we were working against the clock. Um, we still saw a slight chance that up there winds, I don't know, we were guessing like 60 k's of wind um, were almost blowing us off the top. So we had to go down immediately. The descent is um, even worse uh, on the other side. Uh, you can't, you can't write that. I mean, maybe under best conditions and being Danny McEskill or something, but it's kind of impossible in most, in most ways, at least to us. So we had to again walk and that's when diarrhea set in. Sorry for giving you all those details, but I got so, so incredibly sick from that food we had in that town last night. That made me sad, sure. But, um, so from that point on, it was obvious that I don't have the power to push it like crazy. I mean, I did, sure, we made it over the pass. So we did every single mountain that uh, Nelson Trees uh, prepared for us, but we didn't manage to roll out. So going down that pass, when finally being able to ride again, my partner Moritz went upside down um, a riverbed. Um, I could just, uh, going after him, see him flip and go three meters down, and it was just by miracle that he didn't get, you know, smashed by all those stones. I mean, those stones are not stones, they're, you know, blocks lying around there. That was the moment, or let's say 15 river crossings in the next half an hour later, <laughs> he said, okay, that's enough. Um, we won't make it, we are out. And from that point on, um, yeah, I was only counting on um, getting home getting out of there and that is being in the wilderness being in those valleys um not that easy so we had to do some meters and if you 
um, ask me which human being will I remember forever? Yeah, I mean, for sure, it's Nelson <laughs> for setting up this crazy thing. And it's the guy who, nice Kyrgyz man, who didn't even ask when when we came by and were explaining that I could barely move and if he could. He was a fisher. He was fishing um, as a hobby. Um, and he, you know, he packed up his stuff immediately and uh, took us to the next city and organized a friend of him who brought us uh, to Bishkek. So that was um, that was a wonderful moment. I passed out in the moment I hit the car and from there on I tried to make my way into the real life again. I'm still struggling, so I feel really bad still, um, unfortunately, because it's such a pity, because I felt really strong. We managed to do so many, so many, um, yeah, situations and managed to do them well. Um, but the mistake, if you ask for that, is uh, touching the local food, which is a pity um, that one has to say it, but it is like that. Um, it is. When probably you are so worn out, I mean, I look like Chris Room right now, kind of, or like Iggy Pop. Um, I lost everything. And you can ask many of the riders, even at Checkpoint 2, many of them had already lost 8 kilos. Um, and I'm not a I'm not a fat guy, so <laughs> for me it's a little bit more crucial probably. Um, that is the mistake. Um, we were so set up, we were well prepared with the food, and you just have to stick to it. That is, if you want to manage that, if you don't have a stomach like I don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger. So yeah, um, I mean, in the every day I will uh, remember forever. Probably, but the the day I got out of there and we had to um, we had to quit so so close to the finish line. Um, sure, that is something um, that uh, gives me something to think about. Uh, and if I would be able to sit in front of Nelson right now, I would um, actually ask him two things: um, Why can't we start all over tomorrow? And please take my application for next year. I'm in, for sure. Ciao, Stefano. Don't be sad, Banks. Even if you didn't finish, just you were there finishing the race, almost there. But even if you didn't finish, you are really, really strong, especially because you recorded this message to me this morning, really in the middle of the sickness of the food poisoning. Man, a huge hug. And as I was telling you, when I will be back to Berlin, because I'm gonna come to Berlin soon. You are gonna you deserved really a present from my side. You are great. And then the last story, the story of John. I had to push him a bit because he's not in a really easy period, but I really wanted you guys to listen to his story really, really carefully. Because yeah, it was super tough. And yeah, listen to that. Alright. I've got this locked in in recording. Hopefully it sounds good. Um, my name is John Woodruff and Stefano from Calamaro and the Broomwagon has asked me to answer a few questions. I've got six questions here. Several days since the Silk Road mountain race and I'll dive right in. So the first question, how do I feel? Uh, I'd say I feel pretty good. I came back together pretty quickly uh, my story is I didn't quite make it to checkpoint three for a few reasons, but ultimately it was caught coming down the Arabel Pass into what I think is called like the Jailu Valley or something, but I'm not entirely sure the name of the valley, but I did look up the name of the pass. It's Arabel, and in the race is quite notorious because at the top of that pass is a plateau. It's like a five-hour hike a bike and I was sick two days before that. So ultimately I came within 60 kilometers of making checkpoint three, um, but wasn't feeling good, that great when I got picked up. Um, but we spent a day in Kachkur and I got an early flight back, spent one night in Bishkek. And since then it's been a few days I've been back in Amsterdam. So I feel 
I feel fine, actually. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty easy. Uh, it's a good segue into the second question. The pass that I'll remember forever, I'd say definitely it would be Arabelle. I didn't do Shamshi, I didn't do, um, what's the other one, Torkoal or, or something like that. There was one or two towards the end that I wasn't able to do, but Arabelle was one that anyone I spoke to in the days leading up to it, as far as locals, they knew what I was going to do. And I think the rocky descent after Arabelle is one of the things that sticks out about it. And then, of course, as far as the race course goes, is the hike-a-bike. And for me, it was like this very dramatic last obstacle to get to Lake Issacool. And it took me forever to get there because I was sick leading up to it. Uh, you know, there's others in the race that we did. I think, you know, there's 15 passes in Kyrgyzstan over 3,000, seven over 3,500. I'm not sure for the for the course, but from extended periods of time in the race, you're over 3,000 meters, and you just kind of forget what trees look like. It's quite surreal. But the Air, the Arabelle Pass was tough because you spent so much time completely off-road and pushing your bike through mud and sludge. Uh, I keep joking, it's like where dinosaurs went to die. <laughs> You'd step and your whole leg would go in, and you have to carry your bike across rocks, and it's... It's quite intense. I don't. I don't think anyone was super excited about it. Um, there were several river crossings, and it just. You spent the whole day up there. I, I called it like take your bike, for, take your bike for a walk day. The human being I'll remember forever. I would say definitely uh, was this guy, again the last day before I did the ascent up to Arabelle. Uh, his name was Ramir. I stayed with several people over the course of the trip. Some people. Some of their names I remember, some of them I don't. His I do, and he stuck out for me because um, I spent the most time in his tent. I initially passed out there at like 4 p.m. on, I think, day 11 or something like that. And uh, that was kind of like maybe the low point, and right before I really started to recover from being sick, he made me some really good food. He had a guitar in his tent. He had a super good sense of humor. He had tattoos, which a lot of people... And Kyrgyzstan, I noticed, didn't, uh, and I do, so we compared them. And he had some funny stories about racers who were kind of too prideful or proud maybe to sleep in his tent and tried setting up their own tent and, like, starting fires. And he thought it was quite funny because, you know, they're struggling and freezing in their tent. And he's got a furnace in his. And he was super hospitable and funny and uh, had a phone with photos, and we compared a lot. And, you know, prior to that, I had spent time with people but maybe I was with other racers and so forth but Ramir really stuck out and uh, I gave him a two-tone sticker as I did to many people that I encountered so you know he's got a phone potentially we could get back in touch um, who who knows the mistake I will remember forever I don't feel like I made a lot of mistakes per se um, I've done a lot of traveling with a bike like short trips to easy places in, in Europe or elsewhere where it's not super epic but I'm used to bringing a lot of extra things and options for solutions like you know extra bolts and, and bits and bobs that can help solve any problems. I think the decision that Lester and I made for the tires really wasn't the best. Uh, we had some Schwalbe tires that may be great cross-country tires or they weren't good for the terrain there so kind of blew through those super fast and put a fatter um racing ralph like i think even like a 2.1 size tire that fit on the back of the bike and ultimately use a wtb riddler 45c tire on the front and it was kind of this funny hot rod small in the front and big in the back setup that worked fine and then again, arguably, it's not necessarily a mistake. Nothing was really done on accident, but the the velocity at which we started the race with Max and Justin and myself was pretty relaxed at the beginning, and that made it very difficult to stay on target getting to checkpoint one, checkpoint two. And again, like I said, I didn't quite make it to checkpoint three. And that had to do with not 
coming in with a game face out the gate and just charging. Like we made a hundred kilometers in the first day, which we thought we felt fine about, but talked to one guy, he did 240 on the first day. So I don't consider it a mistake, but it's certainly a lesson. I would have loved to have finished the race and that required um, just starting with with a kind of race pace out the gate. And that's, that's not what we did, which is okay. But that's this is the best I can do as far as mistakes go. The day I will remember forever. Uh, well, there was 13 days and a, a few days stick out. I would say for me, definitely, if I had to choose, I have to check my journal exactly which day it was. Uh, I don't have the brevet card in front of me, but it was the day that was the deadline for checkpoint two. That might have been day eight, maybe. Um, but we were pretty far away. Uh, I had left the cafe at the bottom of the descent from Sankul, the first checkpoint, with a guy named Dominic, a doctor from Dublin, and he was keen to make it to checkpoint two. I was, there's quite a bit of pavement initially uh, after checkpoint one, once you get down there. And it takes you through this kind of militarized zone. There's a few military checkpoints. And there's a lot of stuff you read about in the manual. And it's like a national park with a lot of pavement. It's kind of a false flat descent towards China. And then you cut left. And early that morning, um, Dominic and I split, and based on his math, we had 140 kilometers or so to get to checkpoint two. I thought 151, ultimately being ended up being 164, and it's this brutal kind of washboard uh, gravel along like barbed wire fences with like gun towers, and it's this you know infamous no man's land section of the race, and I rode maybe. 12 hours that day so you know for the dot watchers it really looked like a sprint and it was i guess i held close to 14 kilometers an hour there wasn't much climbing that day over the course of the day and i got to the second checkpoint like essentially right on time so it was quite dramatic and it was the first day that i spent alone and i typically don't listen to music but i listened to uh, like a ton of Neil Young that day riding on this weird like militarized like border road it was it was quite surreal so that's what's that's one day that definitely sticks out last question if I would do it again or specifically even next year man I don't know I I'd like the idea of doing events the first go round, and this one was quite extreme I think this is going to go down the history books a lot of people came out there with different expectations levels of preparation or determination to complete it uh, as you read there's something like 94 98 starters and something like 29 finished so more or less less than a, a third or so finished um i'd love to go back to kyrgyzstan someday uh, i don't know when i would do this event again uh, but that's because there's so many other cool events and places and, and things to do um, that I, it would have to be a special kind of opportunity or proposition for me to do this race again and, and I certainly would make sure that I finished it. Cool. Thank you for the opportunity to answer the questions and uh, I look forward to hearing the other guys' replies. Thank you. And then thanks, John. You will always have a spot on this podcast, really, as usual. It's a great story and everything. So for everybody of you that now are dreaming about Silk Road Monterey's and snow leopards and probably also a bit of hike a bike, gravel, climbs and stuff like this, just stay tuned because for sure there's gonna be another episode, <laughs> no, not talking about my podcast, another episode of this amazing adventure called Silk Road Monterey's. But if you want, really, if you want to listen to something like the summary of this adventure over here, downstairs, here, downstairs, yeah, in the other floor, here, down in the description below, you, I'm gonna put uh, a link, it's a link on the Radavist, you know, really, Jolly Prolly, the Radavist, where 
Um, my friend Lian, Salt Lake Lian, Lian Van Leuven, I believe that I need to interview her for this podcast, wrote about this amazing adventure. She was actually also the author of all the blog posts about the days during the Silk Road Monte race. You can see her pen is amazing. You can really understand how cool is the story that she's telling. Anyways, here below there's gonna be the link with amazing pictures and the piece of content that she wrote where you can really get the feeling on everything and, and how this happens. Anyways, you're gonna find all the links down below and uh, yeah, Big up, Leanne. It was a great job. I really appreciate it. And yeah, apart from that, I think that we are at the wrap of this episode. This is kind of, it was something like four episodes, like an introduction of the season of this year. Probably next week, you're going to know a bit more on what is going to be this year, Broomwagen. But till then, just write me on hello at calamaro.cc if you have some good stories that you want to share with me on everything or just follow my stories and stuff on instagram.com slash calamarocc or my bullshit on twitter.com slash readcalamaro contact me also there, it's super fine or mostly the same thing that are happening on the Instagram page you're gonna find it also on the Facebook page facebook.com slash calamarocc but for example I posted there also an amazing video made by Simon Simon how? How? Simon, hi, how are you doing? Uh, about the um, Holy Week that we had together. So if you want to have a look, check over there anyways. There's going to be the link in the description below as well. Then find this podcast on, uh, on Spotify. Just look for Broomwagoon or on Apple Podcasts. Same thing, Broomwagoon or Spreaker.com slash Listen Calamaro or just go to Spreaker.com and look for Broomwagoon or better Broomwagon as my friend Toma told me last time. Not Broomwagoon, not Broomwagon, but Broomwagon. I will never have a perfect answer. No way. I will never have a perfect accent for you to understand, but my accent, I think, is unique, and you will like it also for that. That's a wrap. I will talk to you next week, and now, bye, see you soon, or battle, talk to you soon. Bye.